1: It's a lovely story by the writer Jeanette Winterson, if you remember her, Giles. Uh, I don't remember her. I know the name. Yeah, great writer. She wrote something called Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit. She wrote, many years ago now, um, about a a, a plumber, basically, who came to look at her washing machine, which was um, up the spout. And uh, he had a broad Gloucestershire accent. He called the, the washing machine he... Um, and he said uh, my old wash machine I can't do the Gloucestershire accent he's given up the goat and she said the goat? are you sure? and he said oh yes have you never heard that before? and she said well no, where does it come from? And he said, oh, well in the old days when folks didn't have much and mainly worked the land a man set a lot of store by his animals, especially his goat. When he came to die, he would bequeath the goat to his heirs and that's why we say he's given up the goat. And I remember chuckling about this because not only did he slightly mangle the expression, but he had a whole rationale for why it was given up the goat and not, of course, the standard given up the ghost. But I
0: think his story is more credible.
1: Well, it's, it's certainly a lot more colourful.
0: Given up the goat. I love that.
1: So we've mentioned oranges are not the only fruit, but uh, we have mentioned the title of our podcast. Um, This is Susie Dent and I'm talking with Giles Brandreth and our podcast is called Something Rhymes with Purple.
0: And it does. It does.
1: Today we are talking about uh, slip-ups. So the inadvertent slip-ups that we all make, let's face it, uh, when we're talking, when we're writing. Um, but including those that actually eventually enter the language as the standard, believe it or not. Now, what do you call these? Eggcorns. I've okay. never
0: heard of egg. I know there's a, a place called Headcorn, which I think is either in Sussex or Kent. Okay. I've been to Headcorn. Eggcorns. Eggcorn.
1: Egg egg now, an eggcorn, okay. Eggcorn was uh, the term that was given for this phenomenon by two uh, American linguists. And it was it was based on an overhearing. Basically, when you're a linguist, you need to eavesdrop a lot. You pick up all sorts of gems from eavesdropping. I'll, I'll come back to, to some of my eavesdroppings, if I can call them those, uh, a little bit later. But um, they overheard somebody in the Midwest of America, uh, talk about the eggcorns that, that were falling from her oak tree and obviously she meant acorns, but she had grown up knowing them as eggcorns because she'd misheard it slightly, or maybe her parents had misheard it, who knew. And they look know... a little
0: bit like eggs, exactly. don't
1: they? Exactly. It's logical. Uh, they look exactly like mini-mini eggs. Um, and I loved that, and obviously they loved it too. So they gave uh, the these kind of mishearings, logical mishearings, if you like, that are not based on illiteracy or just stupidity. They're simple mishearings, and there are so many of them in English, and actually... When we start talking about them, I would place a bet that some of our listeners will have actually used exactly these mishearings before.
0: So it's it's like Chinese whispers—you get it slightly wrong, you get it slightly, wrong. and then you repeat it.
1: But in a way that makes sense. So, for example, uh, like a bowl in a china shop. Oh, sort of makes sense, although. The well, kind like of meaning a, of the expression doesn't make like sense. Like a but- bowl
0: in a china shop. I mean, that's what you expect in a china shop, isn't it, a bowl?
1: <laughs> exactly. So there's this kind of logic there, although it doesn't really convey the kind of thrashing around like a bull. Um, involving another animal, I love this one, uh, just starting something right from the gecko.
0: Oh, as opposed to get-go. Yeah,
1: I just like that one. Uh, thanks to Twitter, primarily, we're talking about things that are trending towards rather than tending towards... Oh, and then it becomes part of the language, isn't it? Yes, (sighs) that is language-changing action. Twitter can
0: be... Texting can be very dangerous, because that's when I got into trouble, when I texted my wife to say I'd um, paid the au pair. It came out as I'd laid the au pair. Uh, Because I've just... You know, when I had... You know, I must the digit, but that's just a mistake.
1: No, I genuinely the other day asked somebody, jokingly I was saying to a friend, stop hogging the limelight, and that came out as stop dogging. Oh, um, please. Which was well, that is, good, but it's very easy to do. Yes,
0: my daughter sent me a text, you know, saying that she was expected. I'm expected. It came out as I'm, I'm expecting. Because the predictive text did that and shouldn't check it. You can do things too quickly. You but say, that's okay. not what these egg horns are about. An egg no. horn is a, mis, a misheard thing. A
1: mishearing. So uh, I'll give you uh, a few more. Growing like top seed... Now, that is totally understandable because who knows what the original expression is these days? You do? Growing Growing Like
0: like Topsy. It's based on a novel. Okay. A Victorian novel, which there was a character called Topsy and who grew and grew and grew. That's all I know. Okay. And I I used to be able to know the name of the person who wrote the novel. Anyway, it's a character in a novel. And she just grew and grew and grew. So you're growing like Topsy. Like Topsy. It's an American novel, I think.
1: Well, there you go. But nobody's heard of it these days. So we now talk about growing like Topsy. Do you know
0: most of what I, most of my references, nobody has heard of these days? No. Yeah.
1: Well, here's one that even you will not have heard of. Uh, do you ever talk about somebody who's being so ingratiating and s- sucking up to somebody so much that you say, oh, they're really currying favour? Yes. You ever say that? Okay.
0: Currying favour. It's did a wonderful you know,
1: phrase. Did you know that the original was uh, currying favell, favel, F A V E L, with a capital F? No. Now, that goes back to very, very, very old, I think it was medieval story.
0: You're telling me that currying favour is not correct. It was originally well, currying fable. Yes,
1: it's not It's not the original expression, shall we say. Wow. So fable was a horse that belonged to the king. And uh, those uh, courtiers who wanted to be in the king's good books would come and pick up a curry comb, which is the expression, of course, for one of the brushes that you use to brush down a horse. And they would... Brush down with a curry brush this horse to within an inch of his life in order to please the king. Um
0: This can't be
1: true. No, it's very true and uh there are there are sort of other I, I mean I could go into various interpretations of the it was a kind of allegory, and the horse was cunning, et cetera, et etc. But the main thing was a curry cone was used on this horse
0: and, whose, and so, king, whose horse was this who did fable belong to
1: a king, oh. a king in this story, uh, and that was the whole point because they wanted to be on the side of the king, and the king would be most pleased if his horse's coat was uh was shining and uh, looking well, you know, a softer satin. It's a lovely story. It's yeah, like so curry comb was taken to this horse, Favour, and then uh, eventually people like Favour, who's Favour? Uh, it didn't make sense, but Favour made perfect sense. But to this day, we still talk about currying Favour, when currying actually doesn't really make much sense at all, but that is where it comes from.
0: I think it's amazing. I want to find out who owned Fable. It's a most unusual name for a horse. Or is Fable a well-known name?
1: I don't know, actually. But all I know is it was a king, a king. I don't think it was any specific king. Now, there's a, there's another mishearing, another egg corn involving horses, actually, which um, is putting the cat before the horse.
0: Oh, instead of putting the cat before the horse. <laughs> yes.
1: Sort like of, again, sort of makes sense. Um, the chickens are coming home to roast.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but you might be going at it like hammer and thongs.
0: Oh, that's amazing. <laughs>
1: I I and uh, I'll give you another part, uh, final one. And again, this sort of makes sense—a parting of the waves. Again, I think we've come to a parting of the waves.
0: Some of these are uh, do you think they're invented, or do you think
1: they—no, no, these are these are legitimate overhearings, um, and uh, you know, I I have actually seen things written down, so or or actually overheard them. I talked about eavesdropping uh, earlier. So, for example, uh, I have heard. Loot cubicles are very, very good. If you happen to have a little black book with you and you're a linguist, very good for uh, overhearing funny things. Uh, And then you can write them down. Uh, So a couple of examples. I heard one teenager say to another, I've got a massive coleslaw on my lip. Uh, And then I heard another couple, it was women again, obviously, because I was in the ladies' loo, uh, saying, you wash my back, darling, and I'll wash yours, which I loved as well. I thought that was great.
0: When I was a member of parliament... Briefly, the people spoke. When I was a member of parliament, I remember making a speech, a rousing speech, recommending a certain policy, and that if we followed this policy, there would be a new dawn. I was offering hope. And my speech ended by saying, Vote for this, and we will soon see the blight at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) It just came out wrong. Perfect. Because I'd used the word, I'd planned to use the word blight earlier. And it just came out, it was it was um, a most unfortunate. But I would have called that a malapropism. Well, what is, what is the difference a very between an and these. a malapropism?
1: Well, malapropism, of course, goes back to Mrs Malaprop, although, again, that's Sheridan, wasn't it? Not many people will probably know now oh, forget the origin, me. do you think?
0: These verbal slip-ups, yes. let's give people something to get their teeth into here. Okay. These egg corns that you're talking about, I would originally have called them malapropisms uh, because Richard Brinsley Sheridan wonderful Irish playwright wrote not very many plays but in one of them he has a character i think it's the school is it the rivals i think it's in the rivals yes. he has a character called mrs malaprop yes. and she has is muddling up her words all the time it's a running gag he didn't invent the idea of somebody gets their words. In, like, oh,
1: certainly not. Like an alligator. spoonerisms as well. Like an
0: alligator on the banks of the Nile, meaning an allegory. Yes. She, can, she got her words muddled up. Yes. You can look up a whole series of them. I would say that the origin of the – they oughtn't to be called malapropisms. They ought to be called dogberryisms because oh, yes, in Shakespeare – No, not the reverend. Is it not reverend? In Shakespeare's oh. play, I think it's – is it? Mm. What is the play? Dogberry and Virgies. Is it Much Ado About Nothing? Anyway, the Dogberry and Verges; these two characters, uh, the watch—they are sort of policemen of the time. Uh, Dogberry keeps getting his words muddled up, so there should be Dogberryisms mm-hmm. or Malapropisms mm-hmm.
1: or Spoonerisms. I no, Oh, well. Spoonerisms are kind of—I hissed my mystery lecture. That's that kind it, kind of thing. You yes,
0: have, you have tasted the whole worm instead of wasted the whole term. The reason for that is it's Warden Spooner. Anyway, Warden Spooner was the person who, and that's why it's called a spoonerism.
1: A misheard song lyric is called a Green. You've got spoonerisms, egg malapropisms malapropisms. Uh, they're, they're sort of all fairly close, I have to say. Um, yeah, I mean, acorns tend to be replacing an unfamiliar word or an obscure word with a more common or modern word. But, you know, sometimes they don't make sense, like right from the gecko. Um, so you could argue that they are malapropisms. And then there's malaphors, which is a kind of new kid on the block, at least um, when it comes to the, the term a malaphor. Now, malaphor is a cross between metaphor And a malapropism. Hold on, what is a metaphor? Uh, A metaphor is uh, a figure of speech that uh, I'm going to give you the exact definition of it now, given that I'm sitting in front of the dictionary. figure of speech in which a word or phrase is applied to an object or action to which it is not literally applicable. In other words, it's something regarded as representative or symbolic of something else.
0: Can you give me an example? I wandered lonely as a cloud.
1: Yes, that's a simile.
0: Ah, because we're using I was like that. So a metaphor is...
1: Oh, gosh. Look up
0: metaphor and see if we can give a fun, good example of a metaphor. Okay. Um,
1: oh, well, we I'm just, as hungry
0: as a horse. Curt- no, that's a, the that's a simile. a curtain of night. A curtain of night yes. descended.
1: Yes, upon us. Very good. That's and a so- metaphor. But I mean, is full of... Full of metaphors. Okay. Anyway, so Malifor is uh, something like, it's produced some hilarious examples. And again, the reason I love these is that they sound plausible. And it's only when you stop or somebody stops you that uh, you think, oh, yeah, I haven't got that quite right. So, for example, it's not rocket surgery.
0: Oh, that's brilliant.
1: That's mixing up, obviously, brain surgery and rocket science, which I absolutely love. There is, well, I've talked about when the cows come, uh, oh, no, haven't, when the cows come home to roost. I talked about the chickens coming home to roast. When the cows come home to roost, I'll burn that bridge when I get to it. Now, how plausible does that sound? If somebody said that to me, I'm not sure I would immediately trip over it. Um, so I love all of these. And, and those are the three, sort of, I mean, there are many, I'll many. i burn examples. that
0: bridge when I get to it is rather good. Mm-hmm. You could say that of sort of government policy all the time. I'll burn that bridge bridge when I get to it.
1: I guess you could, actually. I think think that's very true.
0: Do we like these things? Are these good? I mean, I I love them. I think the whole joy of language is that it is constantly evolving
1: Mm -hmm. and that
0: these slip-ups, they make language more colourful and amusing. Mm Mm-hmm. And I like people who dare to. The problem, you know, with the world of political correctness now is that everybody has to watch what they say and you've got to almost censor yourself before you speak. So people are not using perhaps language as richly as they might because they're fearful of getting it wrong and making a fool of themselves or wrong and inadvertently saying something that might be considered offensive.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I think um, in schools these days, certainly in Britain, there is a definite drive to let children express themselves without fear of tripping up. So I think I think that's hugely important. They use lots of euphemisms for tripping up, like falling forward uh, and that kind of thing. But yes, be brave, be bold, be strong. If you do trip up, you know, who knows, it might become part of the language in future, future years. I think what we always say, don't we, Giles, is that the key thing is clear communication. So if you're doing anything that impedes communication, then you have to watch your step. But actually, you know, wordplay has been part and parcel of some of our greatest literature, I think, of Shakespeare, since time immemorial. So playing around with words, enjoying them, relishing them, I think is really key. And and these aren't too much of a step aside from, from that enjoyment of wordplay, except we're, often it's inadvertent.
0: We're not going to impede the wordplay, but we're going to pause during it for a little break.
1: I hear these things, and actually, I struggle to come up with the original just because the original has kind of been lost sight of somehow. And, and these may not sound plausible, but they just about make it. So, for example, it's better than a kick in the eye with a sharp stick. Oh, I love that. Yeah, sort of makes sense. Uh, it does can't get a leopard sense. to change its stripes. What? <laughs> can't get a leopard to change its stripes. Love it. I'm worried stiff. I've heard that so often.
0: But isn't that an expression? I'm worried worried,
1: sick. I'm worried sick. Oh, I'm worried worried stiff. stiff.
0: But that's even worse. I'm worried sick, and now I'm so sick. I'm I'm dead. I'm stiff. (laughs) I'm worried stiff.
1: Um, Stuck out like a sore eye. (laughs) Maybe not. No, I like that. you know, just sometimes, as I say, they they sort of well, what they sample. What they
0: do is they take cliches and turn them into something more interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, a cliché is a cliché. Do you know what uh, you do know the origin of the word cliché? Yes, you? it's a printing, printing, Fra- French yes, printing, molten metal. It molten metal. It was called a cliché. The the thing that re- repeatedly did the same thing yes. time and again.
1: Uh, exactly. Like a stereotype. That also comes from printing.
0: So a cliché is something we use all the time without thinking about it from yes. the printing press. Cliché. Yes. And a lot of our languages, we fall into using the same phrases all the time. You know, uh, whatever it could be. What was the one you just said? as um, No.
1: Worried stiff?
0: Worried stiff. Worried sick. Worried sick. Worried sick. I, oh, I gutted. Oh, I, I was gutted. I, you know, I was worried sick. Well, actually it turned into worried stiff takes it away from being a cliche and makes you think about it again and that's what one of the things that i like one of the reasons i believe in word power and i'm very much torn with the young people uh, this whole free expression thing in schools mm-hmm. uh, i'm all in favor of encouraging young people to speak to write to communicate as best they can. But at the same time, I feel they should know what the rules are. Mm -hmm. I think it's useful to know about spelling, grammar, you know, how to shape a paragraph, how you do these things. But you don't want to inhibit a child's natural free expression. How do you encourage that? And actually getting just people to burble away is a fun way of doing it. I do a, a radio show called Just a Minute. And there we are challenged to speak for just a minute without hesitation, deviation or repetition. And there you find yourself just talking on automatic... I bet there's
1: loads of egg corns in there. Do and there
0: are because you just keep burbling away. Yeah. And because you can't repeat anything and you've got to think of new words. And that's quite an exciting thing to do. Um, and I, I I like that. And so what I like is also, is this an egg corn where uh, I found myself once saying, people who live in glass... Hu- I'm playing just a minute. People who live in glass houses... Should I undress in the basement?
1: <laughs> no, that's, I think that would just be a play. or that's an a play existing. on words. Yeah, I like that. But things like, like lemmings to the slaughter. That's good. Or adding salt to injury. Do you know, and there are some oh, things...
0: Adding salt to injury is really painful because it's an open yeah, wound. Yeah, open wound. What, what is the normal expression? I've it's, forgotten it. You see,
1: again, this is Adding what, insult To injury. To injury. In of injury, that comes from Aesop, one of Aesop's fables, in fact. But we've lost the original reference and that's the whole thing. And actually, I remember having a Twitter exchange the other day, an exchange on social media, um, about whether it was having another think coming or another thing coming. And the jury was out a lot of people said, is the thing coming? I've got another thing coming. But no, it started off as another think coming uh which makes total sense you know if you if you don't do this you've got another think coming in other words you will think again and you will think on it and you will rue the day and you will change your mind
0: it's so funny you use expressions all the time you don't think about it. you said if for the jury the jury is out assuming everybody knows what a jury is mm. a ju- the jury is out means that people haven't decided yet yeah. so the jury has left the courtroom and is in that little room trying to decide what the verdict should be yeah
1: we don't we don't really explore the metaphors very often but anyway just go to another think coming that was the original but within ten years according to the Oxford English Dictionary, people had started to mishear it. So now, if you looked at uh, Oxford's wonderful dictionary databases, you will find they are neck and neck. Another think coming, and another thing coming, and there is no correct one because the non-standard may replace the standard uh, over. time. Maybe it
0: should be neck and neck, rather like that. I've invented nick one now. Neck. neck and neck. neck. How interesting. Mm. So I've got another. It's a an...
1: honing in and homing in. Which That's is another correct. one, homing in.
0: homing in. But people think honing a blade. in or what is the origin of Well, just like
1: a, a sort of you're a, a target. You're homing in on if you think You're about going a gun, into the
0: home blade, Homing in on its turn. Or you're honing in, as in honing... Because
1: it makes sense. Making
0: point in something in the right direction.
1: But get yeah, all well, these sort of vague mishearings or misunderstandings, or you might not even call them that, actually, but but you can see how these alternative interpretations come about, like giving up the goat. Trouble with being a linguist and lexicographer is that everyone expects you to speak perfectly, without any acorns or malifors or malapropisms, And that actually couldn't be further from the truth because I'm always slipping up. I, I do have lots of blind spots. Um, but the one acorn that I can think of, which, again, made sense to me at the time, I know it's not the correct idiom, but um, I just said to a friend after a, a particularly bad experience, uh, work experience, where I just said, never mind, I'm just going to chuck it up to experience.
0: Oh, I like that one.
1: Yeah, which actually involved somehow the sort of sense of vomiting, which actually what the, is what the experience made me feel like. So it kind, of, it kind of made sense at the time.
0: Well, sometimes people simply don't understand. My darling mother lived to be 96 years of age and for her ninety six Christmas, my son gave my mother, knowing she was a dynamic person and liked new things, he gave her an iPad to a 96-year-old. Lady who um, she was delighted to Mm. get this iPad, excited to get this iPad. She had no idea what it was. She knew it was called an iPad. She thought, this is for real, that it was an electronic incontinence pad. (laughs) No, genuinely. Uh, Because if you. I I for incontinence. uh, What would you know? What is the i4 in iPad?
1: Good good point. What is the i4 in iPad? I'd hate to think what she did with it. Um,
0: Well, she did, and then she died with a smile on her face on Boxing Day.
1: You're sipping your cup of coffee there. That reminds me of another eavesdropping, uh, which uh, was in a coffee queue, another good place apart from uh, Lou's, for um, for tuning in to, to people's kind of linguistic transgressions. And that was a lovely one. Actually, two I can think of now, two in the coffee queue. Uh, one was um, a woman who was very, very cross with a work colleague, clearly, and uh, was just having a, a right go. And finally turned to a friend and said, but that... His attitude is the whole crotch of the matter, which oh. I loved. That, that made me laugh a lot. And then, not on the same day, there was another... Um, that's, you know how people tend to be kind of over-exuberant, so sort of linguistic inflation, you just say, oh, you're a hero when somebody's just, you know, get, put your coat on for you or something. Uh, it was one woman saying to another who'd bought her a cappuccino, she put the cappuccino on the table and her friend said, oh, thank you, I'm internally grateful. Oh, that's lovely. But again, made sense. Well. Made sense. The best one, though, was applied to me. And actually, I rather enjoyed this one. It was uh, one one man um, passing on a compliment to me, turned to his friend and he said, I told you, she's a minefield of information. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that one.
0: My grandson came back and said somebody had kicked him in the goalies.
1: In the goalies, in oh, the goalies. Well, kids come up with these things because he all came the back time. from football, and all that, the that's time. the
0: he'd obviously overheard that expression, and it was a touch of the eggcorns there. But I rather liked it.
1: I love it, and to this day, my youngest, who loves a, a good game of football, talks about the team huddle, Huddlesfield, Huddlesfield. I love that they're all in a huddle.
0: Time for the trio, please.
1: Time for my trio. Okay.
0: If you're new to this, these are three words, real words, genuine words that do exist, not invented by Susie, that we think. Well, we want to try and get them into our vocabulary.
1: Yes, I would just say not necessarily in all dictionaries. Some of them are very old. Uh, some of them are not used enough, sadly, um, to be to sort of deserve inclusion in the dictionary. Is we cool? must
0: do a podcast on how words get into the dictionary.
1: Mm, yes, I'm always being asked that one. How it happens. Okay, the first one is quite beautiful, I think. Um, it is Petrichor. Uh, p e t r. I C H O R P
0: E T R I C H O R Petrichor. Petrichor. Anything to do with a petri dish? Mm. Anything to do with the petri? Is it some kind of a bird in a petri? Uh,
1: no. Yes, yeah, sort of. You've got the kind of the, the stone bits. Bit, so it's related to petrified. The original. Oh. We, we, you know, we still actually um, retain this sense sometimes. Um, to be petrified is to be turned into stone. Really. Of course. Fear.
0: Saint Peter being the stone. The rock on which the church is built is St. Peter.
1: There you go. All linked. Petrichor. Petrichor Petrichor is that beautiful earthy smell that occurs when rain falls on dry soil. So during the summer, after a long period of hot weather, you get a sudden rainfall after a long dry period and you will breathe in the scent of petrichor, which I love.
0: I love that. Is that your favourite scent?
1: Um. No, basil is my favourite scent. Or really? freshly cut grass. I would.
0: Fre- say. I think newly mown grass. Yeah. You can't do better than that. Fr- actually, fresh bread.
1: Oh yes, that's good too.
0: Outside a bakery. Very fresh good. Bread.
1: Shall and I tell I... you where it comes from, Petrichor? Yes? it's Quite beautiful. Well, we talked about Petra meaning stone, but ichor so from the Greek, is the fluid that flowed in the veins of the gods in Greek mythology. So that's how beautiful the scent is. Quite gorgeous. Love that.
0: I love it, Petrichor.
1: Petrichor. Um okay.
0: Is okay another of your words?
1: No, my second one. Though we will
0: be doing a whole podcast on the origin of okay, so controversial, never been quite worked out. What's your second one?
1: Well, um we are all being encouraged these days quite rightly to use our own coffee cups, uh, at, rather than use the sort of the plastic ones that are provided by uh, by coffee stores, purely because those ones aren't recyclable. However, the cardboard sleeves that come with your coffee cup are indeed recyclable. So they're not too bad.
0: Yeah, they're not so ecologically damaging.
1: <laughs> exactly, but did you know that there was a word for that sleeve—the
0: cardboard sleeve around your coffee cup? What's yes. it called?
1: It is a zarf.
0: Oh, Z
1: A R F.
0: Yes, and zarf is that a word from your beloved German in origin?
1: Sounds like it, doesn't it? Uh, no, it actually goes all the way back to Arabic. Um, because oh. in ancient times, a zarf was a, a holder of ornamental metal, sometimes precious silver, for um, a coffee cup without a handle. So you will find them still in beautiful tankards, you might find. You know, when you sort of put the mm. glass inside the sort of yes. silver. Yeah. Oh, those that, metal
0: ones yes. that people have glue vine in, sort of hot those, drinks often you yeah. have them. Yeah.
1: yeah. I can't uh, so wait it comes to go
0: to the coffee shop later and, you and you ask for a zarf. And say, I'm afraid of this, exactly.
1: Trust me, I've tried it. It didn't work. Uh, but the more we use it.
0: Just for a laugh. I want a zarf just for the alarm. Laugh.
1: <laughs> the more it, it, it might go in um so that is that's my second word oh
0: the, look I've, I've come up with a a, a, a what's it um a, an eggcorn. uh okay he who zarfs lasts you get yeah it? as in who laughs lasts because yeah. if you've got the zaf around your thing you, you last longer because yeah, you can hold it yeah. all right forget it move yeah. on what's your third
1: one i get it okay so uh, my last one is to spuddle to spuddle uh, that is a useful verb. It goes back to the 1600s and it means to work feebly and ineffectively because you're either daydreaming or you haven't quite woken up yet.
0: To spuddle. To spuddle. Is it a good thing? Is there, it's a lovely word, mm. to, spuddle. Mm. to
1: spuddle. To spuddling. Just such Just an ambling along, in your mind. Spuddling
0: along, looking for the coffee. Oh, there's the zaff, marvellous. And hoping that, oh, the rain will fall and then we can enjoy the fragrance of the petrichor. I think this podcast has given up the goat. OK, if you've been enjoying Something Rhymes With Purple, we'd love it if you could give us a rating or write a review. It's not uh, rocket surgery. <laughs> Something Rhymes With Purple is a Something Else production. It was produced by Paul Smith with additional production from Russell Finch, Steve Ackerman and Josh Gibbs.